Welcome to Inaudible. I'm your host, Jeremy Wyland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Reddy. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the long tradition of contact with the Confederation of Planets in service to the one infinite creator. These messages articulate a philosophy of spiritual evolution, popularly known as the law of one. Many of these messages are available to listen to on our sister podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. We seek to provide analysis and commentary on this philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes, and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. However, we are not counselors, gurus, or experts of any kind, so please evaluate our words in light of our shortcomings and use your own best judgment. Thanks for listening, and good morning, Nathan. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing all right. Uh, just a little uh, slow to start this morning, but uh, I'm getting there. How about you, man? I'm I'm doing great. I've been up for, you know, six hours now, so mm-hmm. I have a slight advantage on you. In addition to, I think your coffee maker just broke. It did, it did, so. Yeah. So if Nithin isn't on the, on the ball, that's why I apologize on behalf of an Audible <laughs> podcast for my colleague. Anyway. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you were supposed to be more embarrassed by that. <laughs> oh, man. Um. Yeah, I've just been having a pretty relaxed day, so uh, I'm going to continue it on this podcast. Um, And uh, the topic for this episode is the sinkhole of indifference. It was a uh, suggestion from a listener. I super appreciate you making that suggestion. Uh, I don't have your name right off at the tip of my... uh, uh, (laughs) I don't have your name at hand. I'm sorry. Uh, But... We are going to do our best to talk about this. And it's actually a very rich topic because it really is a part of polarity that doesn't get discussed very much on this podcast. Um, We tend to focus on uh, those who have made the choice in some sort of way in which their life is starting to affirm and test that choice. That's what catalyst is uh, and uh, what, we don't talk a lot about are the people who haven't made this choice who are kind of just going through life. And, um, we're going to talk about what we think that sinkhole is, the implications of it are, and, um, maybe, uh, talk about how that manifests in the different rays of the, of the energy body. Uh, you know, how that manifests in culture, uh, the karmic implications of all of that. Um, yeah. Uh, anything you want to say as exposition, Nathan? No, I think that's a great introduction. Um, it, you know, I think it, it helps us transition right into what is the sinkhole of indifference. And uh, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on, on that? Well, I will say that the way that a lot of people use it, it tends to just be a general way of talking about those who have not polarized or who have not made a choice, like I said earlier, where catalyst is actually working with them to push them in one direction or another. Um, But I think that it actually refers to a very specific uh, problem. Uh, Maybe problem's a strong word, but it seems to be a kind of feedback loop that keeps people unpolarized. Uh, I think it's something in third density where especially the more comfortable you are, in your sleeping. And that's how those of Ra talk about the unpolarized. They're asleep. 
And there's some part where they say, you know, to those who are sleeping, we can only give them the comforts of sleep. We can't really wake them up. It has to come from within them. And this is really what the sinkhole is all about. It's some sort of inability for the individual to find within them that motive force that would push them to develop their mind-body-spirit complex uh, towards one of the poles, either service to others, uh, the positive radiative pole, or service to self, the negative absorbing pole. Um, and I think what's going on there, uh, there's a really, there's, there's a, uh, a rock quote that, um, makes this clear. It's, uh, session 20, uh, question 17. Uh, so Don is asking about, you know, the influx of entities from Mars and like how this has affected the ability of people on this planet to polarize and why it takes us so long and has, we have so many problems on earth compared to other planets. And, um, you know, Rob uh, responds by talking about the lifespan. You know, they say the lifespan has been shortening on this planet uh, since the advent of third density, uh, the advent of the major cycle of third density. Uh, according to those of Rob, we used to have really long lifespans. And as we failed to use them to polarize, we found that they got shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, and I think this is really what the sinkhole of indifference is. It's this feedback loop that occurs when you are not making the choice one way or another and instead sleeping deeper. And then that because you're sleeping deeper, all of the tests, all of the uh, ways that you would, you would uh, exercise your will and agency to really feel like you want to be pulled in the service to others – service to self-direction, uh, they, they get further and further away and they become harder and harder for you to feel like it, you're capable of doing them. And so it's this feedback loop where you sleep harder and harder and harder. And I think this is a real conundrum in a way for the Confederation. I mean, one way to think about it is that, you know, the good thing is that that feedback loop has to be confined to one incarnation. And what a wonderful thing it is that we have distinct separate incarnations in which we can start from scratch. Uh, but within the incarnation, I think it can be a real problem, especially in this kind of late stage of third density where we have a lot of material comforts. Generally speaking, there's a lot of people who are suffering, but there are a lot of people who aren't. And without that impetus to account to yourself spiritually for your need to grow, your need to evolve, uh, it can be difficult to uh, leave what is comfortable and leave what is safe. What about you, Nathan? What do you think? No, I think that's a great way to, to think about it. It's, um, it's not just that uh, someone's unpolarized. It's about a, a, the subset of uh, mind-body-spirit complexes that are not polarized because they haven't made it the choice, right? The choice being choosing service to others or service to self. Um, often, you know, uh, there are, and you know, there, I, I, I believe that there are more than just, um, I think the sinkhole of indifference specifically refers to people who haven't made the choice because they're stuck in a feedback loop. So, you know, while I think that's the vast majority of people who are not polarized on earth are in the sinkhole of indifference, I do think that, some people, minority on Earth, and maybe um, some uh, some mind-body-spirit complexes on a planet that just newly um, 
emerged into three they might not be polarized but they might not be in the sinkhole of a difference they're just brand new to the third density experience i think raw talks about yeah. you know inspiriting um uh, their pet cat with third density so i think if you just got into third density you might not be in the sinkhole of difference you might not be polarized you might not have made the choice but that's just because it's so new and you're just exploring all of the the newness of the third density but the sinkhole indifference is when you're in third density and you're in a feedback loop um and it's not just because you haven't made the choice and we'll talk about this more later often you're in a feedback loop because you've chosen some sort of life philosophy that isn't really about polarization uh i think a common one that people choose that isn't about polarization that ross specifically talks about is choosing that the most important thing you're going to seek in life is comfort right yeah um that typically won't polarize you to the positive or negative uh or at least not enough to uh be making that choice and mathematically raw talks about at least on planet earth that you've made the choice and you know you're graduating if you've managed to make it 95 percent um service to self or if you manage to be above 50 percent service to others right so you could have there's that other category where you made the choice, but you're still not fully polarized. So what we're talking about, though, is you haven't made that choice. And you typically it's not because third density is new to you. It's because you've kind of um, you have some sort of self-reinforcing feedback uh, loop as to either conscious or subconscious as how you perceive what the most important thing in your life and your reality is. That isn't really um, one that's uh, helpful for, for growing. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like I always try to trace these um, errant uh, mental or energetic states that we can get into in third density back to perhaps an origin in second density. And if you think about it for an animal that's trying to survive, what is the epitome of survival? It's not having to stress, not having to uh, leave the nest, like just being able to live as you want to live and be comfortable, have enough to eat, have safety. These are the, these are the uh, things that any second density animal would love. Um, and we are literally in third density trying to find higher principles, higher abstract ideals that draw us out of that comfort and into uh, some sort of you know, in a way struggle, right? In a way, a way to exercise our deeper nature so that we can, I, the way I think about it is like polarization is this way in which we build power that then we can use to work in these more powerfully dense uh, environs that we will find ourselves in in fourth density. Um, I didn't read the, uh, the session 20 uh, question 17 excerpt. Uh, I don't think, did I? You mentioned it. Um, yeah, yeah, but the the point that I wanted to make is when there is no progress, those conditions which grant progress are gradually lost. This is one of the difficulties of remaining unpolarized. The chances, shall we say, of progress become steadily less. And that was the point I was trying to make about that quote that I like dangled out there and then uh, didn't follow up on is that this seems like a really kind of scary thing in a way from, from the soul's point of view, because it's like, well, then what is the thing that's going to like, uh, get you off the center? What's going to actually, uh, be the impetus that moves you. Um, and this, this, this sort of negative feedback loop that keeps you grounded, keeps you comfortable. And then you have an entire society that's telling you that that's what you want to. Well, and I think, point of clarity, I think it'd be a positive feedback. We would reinforce itself. Right. Yeah. 
and, and we're not and it's confusing because we're not talking about polarity in these positive and negative feedback loops but anyway sorry no that's fine uh I, yeah, I think feedback loop is sufficient. Yeah, yeah I think that it's, we conveyed an idea. But, 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 but uh, yeah, it's funny because um, I, I think that we all know people who are comfortable and don't seem to be very motivated to, I mean, let's just put it in like basic human terms. They don't seem very like interesting. They don't seem like they find things interesting. They like to watch movies. They like to eat food. Uh, they don't, but they don't kind of like challenge themselves. They don't, maybe they don't have a lot of volunteer opportunities. They don't play a lot of like, they don't, they don't get out there much. Like they're kind of like homebodies. And that doesn't, I shouldn't say that that is like some sort of like, uh, rock solid indication that they're in the sinkhole of indifference. I'm trying to paint a picture of what somebody in the sinkhole of indifference might look like. And it would be somebody for whom, there's not really a reason to put one's butt on the line for higher principles. I think that's a big thing because there's ways in your personal life without getting involved in a cause or a movement that you can, you can be somebody who sticks up for like ethical principles and ethical concepts. Um, Those are the kinds of people that I think tend to be more, you know, broadly attractive in the sense, not, not physically, but in the idea that like, you can tell that like, whether this, you agree or disagree with this person, they're pushing towards something that they care about. And it's that care. It's that passion that I find to be really uh, exciting. And that draws me into people who I, you know, in in my personal opinion, who I think are, are good friends, right. Who they're interesting. They have their own lives. And so when we come together, like we're, the relationship is kind of a super person rather than me filling in all the like things that they don't have and they filling in the things I don't have and it being some sort of like complete person made out of the relationship. We're both complete people, at least to some sort of minimum extent. And when we come together, uh, it's like a celebration of that, right? Yeah, I would say it's, I, I think at least it's for me, it's a bit harder to spot people who are maybe in the sinkhole. And the reason I say that is that I think, um, a lot of people, even especially wanderers, right? We come into this reality and we really want to, um, I think in a lot of ways we're very naive, maybe because we forget stuff, right? And in our childhood, we often um, really try to adopt what we're taught uh, with our family, with yeah. our culture. And then often it's even into an early adult uh, adulthood that we try really to test these um, these theories, these life philosophies that we've been taught by society, by, by our family, by our parents, as to this, you know, how one is a good citizen, how one brings themselves happiness is to, you know, just um, make a lot of, for example, right, common, in, in, I guess, a lot of families make a lot of money. And, it, you know, you might see someone in their in their 20s trying to test that philosophy out. And it might not be until, until later in their life, 30s or something, when they realize, oh, this is all bullshit. So I think for me, you know, and, and and honestly, in a lot of ways, that was kind of my progression through trying out these philosophies that I, I was like, oh, you know, society means well, my parents mean well. Maybe they do. They do have it figured out that like the best thing to life is just leaving a life of comfort. Right. Um, and in my 20s, I kind of tried it out, but I, I did it from a perspective of always questioning. Right. And always challenging. And that's how I, I with that growth mindset of, of trying to really, truly figure out if this is something that I value and that feels right for me. But uh, if you met me, you know, in my mid-20s, you'd probably be like, yeah, I'm in the sinkhole because I was very much trying 
out of philosophy on an experimental level of, you know, just yeah. living a life of comfort. Um, but I, I think at some point, though, if you've seen someone who's tried it out and hasn't, um, he's either okay with it or hasn't grown or isn't interested in growth, uh, which is hard, right? Because often the people we know, we don't, we only know them for maybe uh, where they are in their current life and not necessarily their life history, five, 10 years. It's hard to say if they're just kind of exploring life and um, yeah. in the process of deprogramming or if they've really just like, I'm, I'm in the sinkhole and I'm cool with it, right? It's also an issue of, you know, we only see people at a moment in their lives often. Right. There's a whole lifetime of progress that can be had. And that's why, like, I want to be very careful about how I sort of, like, uh, superficially characterize those who are in the sinkhole of indifference. It's kind of like a vibe that I'm going for. It's not actually those qualities because it's not observable from without. And this is something I've told people about polarization over and over again is stop reducing it to these like easy observable check the box kind of qualities that allow you to put somebody in the service to others bucket or the service to self bucket. At the end of the day, you're going to have a very hard time really knowing. And I'm not even sure it's very valuable to judge people that way at all. Like the point is, is what do you believe? How are you taking this encounter of creator to creator? And how are you polarizing because of it? What is it that this person is showing you about yourself as a reflection of yourself that, 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 that gets you there? Um, that said, with all of that said, I do think that um, for those who are in the sinkhole, they might just have like a longer catalytic cycle that they're dealing with. But, you know, I, I, I often think that there's, there's so many different cycles that we're involved in because we are energetic vibratory beings, right? There is a rhythm and there's rhythm or a periodicity to our lives. And there's like different cycles that are completing them. The, uh, the adepts, uh, cycle that those of Ra talk about is a great example of this where there's like inter there's like long time scale cycles and short ones. And, um, so I wonder if the feedback loop that is involved in the sinkhole is just a, a, an exceptionally long feedback cycle um, or exceptionally long cycle, one of these cycles. And it just looks permanent to us. It looks inescapable to us, but it's because we see so little. We see so uh, – we don't see very far. Yeah, it's – I think it is it – is, it's hard to say. Um, and – I think life on, on earth is kind of hard, especially if you're in, uh, you know, I think the U S um, there's so many overlaying like energies that it just, it's hard to really figure out what feels right for oneself. And this is the, you know, I say this as a person who um, maybe, maybe as a person who has more uh, spiritual um, growth under, under their belt, it's still hard for me to figure stuff out. So it's like, if you've never even, you know, made the choice before and you're in the process of trying to figure this all out it's it's really hard out there and and not only is it hard out there for a mind body spirit complex just to live polarization is hard it is signing up for all of your flaws and all of your weaknesses to be exposed to you and that's not pleasant so it's it's there I don't think either of us have any doubt as to why somebody would avoid catalyst and avoid growth. Like 
it's the most, it's in, in some ways, it makes the most sense of anything in the world. And we're the crazy ones in a lot of ways from the point of view of the world for wanting to put ourselves out there. Um, one thing I do think that the, uh, the sinkhole uh, does that is catalytic and worth looking at is there might be an aspect of boredom that's involved as people stay in their comfortable, sheltered lives as they seek not to uh, challenge themselves, how long can they maintain that before they just simply get bored with it? And I think that's actually, in my opinion, I have a, I have a sneaky suspicion that getting bored, so bored that you want to take a risk, even though it might make you uncomfortable, might be one of the things that really gets people off of the middle of the fence and pushing in one direction or another is just being bored because at the end of the day, like, you know, if your life isn't, I mean, and I think it's just different people. Like some people would probably be fine just, you know, staying on their couch for their entire lives. But I don't think that's most people. So I can see boredom having an impact, but I kind of see it differently in the sense that um, even before I was a, even before I was exposed to the raw material, you know, I was um, searching spiritually for a year or two and I always felt intuitively the mind body or rather the, the um, mind body connection, right. Between kind of your mind and your health. And, you know, Ross specifically mentions that when we weren't using our physical bodies for um, making a choice effectively, that's when our lifespan decreased. So I think what ends up happening is, um, and this is in a certain sense speculation and supposition, but it feels right for me and what I've seen in that if you're not effective in making that choice, your lifespan decreases, not abstractly, but on a very concrete level, you start getting bodily ailments. You start needing more and more mm-hmm. med- prescription medication to get through the day, whether it's depression related or whether it's you know heart, heart disease, diabetes, and obviously there's genetic in- factors and exercise and all this stuff goes into it. But I think in a lot of ways, when you don't make the choice, it starts showing up as bodily catalyst. And the body bodily catalyst can be more than just your physical body, but at the very core center, it is your physical body. And I think that's what we end up seeing is that people who haven't made that choice, especially as they age, they start getting a lot of ailments that yeah. we haven't really found or are not incentivized to find a cure. And so we just kind of have them on maintenance where they take prescriptions and they kind of just kind of fade away, right? And they're not really enjoying or living their life to the fullest, but they're kind of just existing and wasting away. Yeah. It, it actually prompted uh, the idea that maybe uh, recreational drug use and self-medication can be a kind of way in which people try to create a temporary sinkhole. Like even wanderers, like, you know, yeah. uh, people, you know, every once in a while have a drink to relax or have a puff. But, uh, like if it starts becoming like something that happens all the time, uh, you know, there's a lot of explanations for that. I'm not trying to say this is the one explanation for that. That's never what I'm saying on this podcast. If there's ever one explanation for anything, trust me. But, um, you know, there's a sense in which the sinkhole is attractive. It's attractive because it's not challenging. And we get it. We get, just as just as much as we can get bored and want to break out of the boredom, we can get overwhelmed and, and exhausted by catalyst, 
by the onslaught of events in uh, phenomenal reality and want a break from that. And so I don't think that like temporarily seeking comfort is any kind of problem whatsoever. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find like ways in which all these things can be humanly understood. And I think the reason that I'm trying to do that is because it seems really unfair and alarming that there is this possibility within the creator's discovery of itself that people could be so arrested. The whole point of being here supposedly is to make progress. The idea that people can so uh, can, can so resolutely and consistently avoid that progress, I mean, kind of irks me on a deep level, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, I've thought about why, in a certain sense, in a very visceral sense from what we see, you know, I think many people on earth, we sometimes ask, why is it that, you know, we have a society, a, a planetary society where we allow for so much suffering, right? And it seems like if we were polarizing more effectively, at least polarizing more effectively to the positive, that it, this wouldn't be the case. But, it, and so I agree with you on one level, but on another level, I'm, I, I kind of disagree in the sense that to me, it strikes me as curious as to why so many members of the Confederation, and this is in the channel material, as well as, uh, you know, people on Earth are, are, are worried about Earth in the sense that, by all accounts, um, you know, a major cycle, 75,000 years, is just like a drop in the ocean. If you look at the supposed lifespans of yeah. fourth density, I think they say fourth density beings, right? It's like a million, like, what do they say, two million years or something for the average it's a very large period of time compared to fourth, de uh, third density life, and um, so it's it's always kind of curious to me in that why are we so focused on third density evolution needing to be quick, right? Um, I don't have a good answer for that, but maybe one of the answers for me that makes sense is that I, I think the material supports this. And my intuition supports us that third density is much more intense. It's much more possible to have a painful experience in third density. Mm -hmm. And so you want that pain to be yeah. as small as possible. Um, and, it, you know, they, members of the Confederation, um, I don't remember which density or if it was a ton, but I, I think they, they say they're brothers and sisters of sorrow, right? And that yeah. resonates with me a lot because often what we see on Earth is a lot of sorrow and Yes, some of it's caused by negative polarization, but a lot of it is caused by the sinkhole of indifference uh, by people who haven't made a choice and are perpetuating, um, you know, belief systems that cause a lot of pain, right, for, for others. Yep. And the more pain they cause, the more you withdraw. Right, exactly. The more it's not safe or even desirable to take a risk. Um, no, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um it's, it's really important that uh, we understand what we're asking of those who we try to reach when we try to inspire them or, or plant a seed of uh, inquiry into the self in something we might say to them, um, that we understand what we're asking. It's, it's, it, we're asking them to, you know, like what Jesus said, you know, pick up my cross. Like, we can say our yoke is light as much as we want, just like Jesus did, but like it looks pretty dang heavy. <laughs> and it's because we're like straddling this this 
we're straddling the status between being incarnate beings with a with a material body that have needs and that have reflexes not just choices for self-preservation but absolute reflexes and instincts that 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 do that and then yet we're trying to in in the incarnate manifest world realize through our actions, through our thoughts, through the things that we say, these greater ideas that come from spirit, these like more abstract ideas that animals don't think about, you know, principles of justice, principles of peace and of uh, equality and uh, egalitarianism and all of these things that like, you know, many people in the world I think are right to reject if they only see their animal um, patrimony as the the truth of human relations, right? Like if we are simply animals and yes, what we have is pretty advanced and can't be improved upon that much. Um, it's going to be a dog eat dog world and a capitalist market system is a rather sophisticated way to accommodate that. Right. But the idea is that, um, we are trying to reach beyond that in some like ephemeral, like hard to put our finger on way. It, it's it's not something that we can really explain to another, let alone ourselves very well. It comes in this inchoate, uh, wordless, con- almost conceptless feeling tone of why we want to uh, help our brothers and, 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 and sisters and bring this world that seems so foolish and idealistic and naive in a way, you know, when people talk about kumbayaing, right? Like that's what they're talking about. It's this idea that we're all just going to get together and be happy. I mean, I honestly think that that is how it's going to happen, but it's going to be something that we figure out step by step by step. And um, that's why it's so important to, to get going, right? To get to start doing this work. The, the more we do our work, the more we make it possible for other people to do their work because there's not really a separation. Absolutely. It's useful to think of that separation, to think of the, the, the sovereignty and autonomy that we have in our lives, to work on our own catalyst, to work on our own issues and the things that being born at this place to these parents at this time in this country make possible for us to learn our lessons within. But at the end of the day, like, it's got to be uh, something broader than that. It, and it's something that's bringing us all together. And that's, that's really the, the message that I think sometimes people who study the law of one don't, don't quite uh, emphasize as much as I might like, is the idea that we get there together. It's not just this individualist thing. I feel like there's a lot of like, uh, baggage from the eighties when everybody suddenly became about me, 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 me. And you had these, uh, spiritual philosophies that were sort of like the, the, um, the after fumes of the sixties that, that started to become, uh, like real going concerns in the spiritual and religious world. Uh, for example, I love a course in miracles, but it has a very, very individual focus. I would also say the same thing about Buddhism. That's a very, it's very much about the self overcoming suffering and reaching nirvana. It's not really about anybody else. Even though there have been a lot of uh, authors who have talked about the crucial role that others play in that. Uh, Pima Chodron uh, comes to mind uh, where she's like talking about this poverty of soul that happens when 
you know, as long as things are okay with me, as long as I have a house, I have a job, I have money, my people are okay, then it doesn't quite matter what happens to other people. That kind of poverty that says that, you know, like it's okay that people are on the street and it's okay that people are in war-torn countries, like doesn't mean there's necessarily anything that you can like really materially do about it. But it does mean that like you're not okay if others aren't okay in some basic sense. You know, that's interesting that you mention it in in that way because I, I agree. And I just had this thought that in a certain sense, it's maybe because, you know, often people can mistake a temporary step in the journey for the, you know, the end stage. And what I mean by that is that often when you, you grow up in at least Western society, I think it is very, very useful to have uh, almost like a, a, a solitary hermit-like deprogramming stage where you deprogram yourself from all of the tradition, uh, maybe not traditional, but all the uh, normative social values. And you, you know, you, because it's really hard to do that when you're surrounded by other people, usually in the same goal of indifference, who reinforce those those cultural mm-hmm. beliefs. Uh, so I do, while I do think one stage is kind of separating yourself, or at least mentally, in order to deprogramming, uh, deprogram, separate yourself from the from that cultural perspective and collective temporarily. I absolutely agree that once you've, you know, learned those lessons, figured out, you know, the distortions at play that you were raised and taught of, uh, reintegrating yourself as a social being with like-minded individuals is absolutely so much more powerful than staying on that solitary path. And specifically, you know, uh, to mention a feedback loop, and there's so many feedback loops, I would say generally a lot of the feedback loops that keep one in the sinkhole of indifference are distortions typically and in the basically in the red um in the orange and in the yellow and to a certain extent in the green but and then there's many examples of this but just to give you one example of how it's a there's a feedback loop here is um a very common uh distortion that many people have and i frankly all of us probably have at some level and we're still deprogramming ourselves from this is that one orange ray distortion that you're not a you're not no one's inherently worthy you're only worthy Mm -hmm. if you do certain things and then here's where the orange ray distortion goes into a common yellow ray distortion you're only a worthy human being if you provide some overt value to society and not a value in society that you are judging is valuable valuable but something that conventional society says is valuable so yeah you write spiritual books but you know no one that's not conventionally. Most people would say, you know, if you're not making money, if you're just writing spiritual books or whatever. I'm not saying you personally, Jeremy. I'm just being an abstract <laughs> example. Um, Ouch. <laughs> like, if, you know, if I wasn't making money and I was writing spiritual books, most of my family wouldn't, most of them, some of them are spiritual, wouldn't really respect that, right? They, yeah. frankly, I maybe I'm very cynical, but I think if I was telling people I was dating that I'm a, a starving writer, right? Um, I think that would be less respected i would be less less valued as a human being than if i was making more money doing whatever right so there's that orange ray but it ties into yellow and the yellow ray distortion it ties into is that we base our self-worth partly on our social status and how others view us right and not just on an individual level but how people view us on a group level oh i'm a i'm a writer well i could have been a you know a doctor and that would have been viewed socially and societally as much more respected, right? 
And so yeah. you have less self-worth. And so the reason it's reinforcing is that our society, at least Western society, is often based on this notion of progress being economic, right? And it's not really based on a notion of, um, you know, having a more just, I mean, there's philosophers on this, but having a more, you know, uh, just society where we're not worried about GDP as much as we're worried about, like, just making sure we're, you know, providing, um, truly serving others, right? Making sure they're not homeless, making sure they have food in their mouth, um, and their belly, food in their belly. (laughs) 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 Making sure they have time, free time to spend doing the things they love, right? We're we're more focused about technology and progress, um, uh, about, you know, getting a better return, having more assets, wealth, power. And all of those things reinforce yeah. themselves in the sense that if you don't value yourself inherently, if your value is conditionally based on how society views you and how others view you, you're going to automatically want to fulfill whatever society says is important, right? And Right. But because that's not going to bring you true happiness – you'll feel a constant need of validation in this, in this feedback loop of constantly doing it. Right. And of constantly wanting to do it because you truly, what you truly, I would, I would say what people truly want, even when they're seeking comfort is they truly want to feel that infinite unconditional love of the one infinite creator, but they don't understand that they're only getting small bits and pieces of it through that conditional validation cycle that we're taught and raised as to how to be a good citizen, how to be a good person in life. So in that sense, it is absolutely um, a feedback loop, and it's yeah. hard. It's hard to break out of. I, I think I think one of the things that they get I don't know wrong, but what, what's 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 confusing is that that peace and comfort that you're looking for um, gets uh, it, it, it gets related to a kind of like closed offedness and protection and cocooning almost that you see people doing uh, where they try to draw a line. This is mine. This is yours. And as long as I can keep mine, I'm okay. And what, what that, what that uh, does is it means that they don't have any power. And so they don't have anything at, at, at risk. There's nothing at stake because they have no power. And um, when we are, uh, be, when we are working with our catalysts and polarizing, we are by definition becoming more powerful. And there's a power to peace. There's a power to the peace of the creator and the belongingness that we all natively want to feel that it can feel dangerous, right? I've felt that way before as an anarchist. Sometimes I'm, I, I used to think that maybe power was the problem. The whole point of the anarchist project was to abolish power. But now I don't think that at all. I think the point is uh, for everybody to realize their power and to see how all of the powers connect up. Um, there was a quote from uh, January 1st, 2006, where uh, after the main monologue, one of them asked a question about fourth density coming into existence. Um, and I'm going to read the relevant parts that I think are coherent and, and explain, you know, what you know, that talk to the subject we're talking about. Uh, so Kuo says, neither those who are graduating service to self nor those who are graduating service to others are caught in fear. The entities that are caught in fear are those who have not yet chosen how to polarize. They are simply, shall we say, resting in the cultural milieu. That's kind of what you were talking about, Nathan. 
To continue, if they have not made the, that first discovery of the true situation, then they perhaps have a very blunted ability to choose at all. Information such as this group offers and many, many other groups offer can awaken certain people who are ready to wa- awaken to the situation. And when entities get the situation well in mind, they are riveted, they are activated, and they realize the gravity of this need to choose. If entities are not yet at that point where it is necessary for them to wake up, necessary for them to get a grasp of the situation, and necessary for them then to make the choice, they are simply not ready to leave third density. And therefore, they dwell in a sinkhole of indifference that is like a gravity well. They simply cannot get off the bottom of the swing of, say, the pendulum that they represent by not having chosen. Those who have not made the choice are those, say, that would be hanging straight down in the gravity well. Just as when one swings on a swing, one has to rock back and forth to get a good start. Then once one is swinging, one is able to swing very high. One has developed power. A person that is simply hanging at the bottom of this gravity well of indifference has no power. So you're basically looking at entities who are powerless. They sense that they are powerless without having knowledge of how to claim the very substantial power that they, de- that they indeed do have, but do not know how to get to. I think it's interesting that they talk about um, this idea that they don't know what to do, and they, but they do know what they don't like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's this adverse uh, aspect to this. Um, and I wonder how much of it has to do with the fact that Earth is such a um, like a uh, a school for the, uh, uh, the 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 folks who can't get their act together from you know other planets. Like we just have a lot of uh, cases of entities on this planet who have resisted the polarization of third density over and over and over again. Um, and that's that's tough, and it makes it tough on all of us to figure out how we can reach them, how we can help them. Um, we can offer them power, but that it has to be something that they actually want. And it has to be something that they want to use not to get, make themselves further comforted and further uh, uh, in the sinkhole, but something where it gets them out of that sinkhole. And it gets them out of that sinkhole for their own in ways that are congruent with their own heart and their own desire. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very hard. I think um, those who haven't made the choice and have refused to make the choice for a while, they carry with them a lot of um, very deeply ingrained distortions and those distortions, thought forms, whatever you want to, whatever they are, they have a certain momentum that, that is, that I think can affect the reality around them. You know, you mentioned an earlier point, um, the raw quote where they say, um, when there's no progress, these conditions with grant progress are gradually lost. I really see it in the sense that when you've made the choice, you're, well, put it this way, reality is kind of like subjectively magical. I, I truly believe that yeah. it's it's designed to give you experiences which are subjective as to not interfere with other people's choice and free will, but that at a deep level are very customized to your life on purpose as if by an intelligent creator. And I think when you haven't made the choice and you have beliefs and distortions that are, um, you know, making you hyper-focused on comfort, it kind of 
it in almost inherently makes reality less magical because that's almost the way that you want it. You want it to be simple. You're kind of closed off. You just don't want anything disrupting your life. You just want an easy life, you know, within these four corners that you understand it as. Uh, so I, I, it's hard though. Cause I, I, you know, what I think you see is people with certain distortions towards comfort, they can get together and have their own sort of momentum of getting deeper into the sinkhole. So just like, just like, people on the positive path and also the negative path when you find others similarly like-minded there's um, a certain momentum staying in society and being closer to people who who have the same kind of sinkhole distortions you have builds its own momentum just in a different direction that doesn't help you necessarily learn what this reality is about so it's it's a difficult thing i think it is. And uh, there was one thing, there was one uh, imagery, a piece of imagery in that last Kuo quote that uh, really reminds me of the archetype of the transformation of mind to Rocard. Um, when they were talking about the pendulum and like, you know, in order for you to get, you know, some height, you have to start swinging back and forth. And it reminds me of the raw quote that talks about uh, the transformation of mind. This is in session 100, question six. Uh, and they say, uh, in this image of transformation of mind, then each of the females points the way it would go, but is not able to move, nor are the two female entities striving to do so. They are at rest. The conscious entity holds both and will turn itself one way or the other, or potentially backwards and forwards, rocking first one way and then the other, and not achieving the transformation. In order for the transformation of mind to occur, one principle governing the use of deep mind must be abandoned. And I think this is very, uh, very much an aspect of choosing one polarity or the other. But notice how in order to build the ability to to, to really make that choice with power and authority. There's this point, there, there's, this, there's this stage where you're going back and forth. You want it both ways, right? You want to you try a little bit of, uh, of being kind to others and selfless, and then you want to retreat back into being super selfish. And then you try a little bit more, and then, you, and then maybe you, you go a little further into, self, into, into service to self, and you keep going back and forth. But at some point, you have to break out of that. You have to swing up past a certain line. And that's how, where you know you have finally got the power to be able to like meet what fourth density must present to the individual, which is like a completely different terrain of you know, spiritual subjectivity and uh, uh, project of, of an entire planet uh, merging with uh, each other, all the other people on the planet and the planet itself to harness all of that power to reach out to other planets. Like the, the immensity of this project um, is why it is so necessary to make sure that every individual that commits to it has gone through this process of truly choosing and truly choosing by trying both choices but not in this very powerful way, right? In this very like, oh, I'm going to take a little bit. I'm going to dip my toe into service to others. I'm going to dip my toe into service to self. I can't make up my mind. And we all know people like that. We can feel that within ourselves of that indecision. It's safer to just stay in the middle and not go too far in either way. And um, 
it, 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 it makes all of the, what we're talking about, when we're talking about polarization, it can seem so cosmic and all that, but it's actually this very, it connects it to this very human experience we have of just being scared. I mean, that's what Kuo said is that it's a lot due to fear. The people who have polar who are polarized in service to others, in service to self, have largely found a way to at least accommodate and not let their fear hold them back. But right. those who let their fear hold them back, I mean, that's that protective second density. I'm going to make a place that I'm comfortable so that I don't have to risk anything. And we are really asking for. I think I can never remember who said this, but there was one Confederation entity I remember reading in the transcript library. He said that third density is about uh, learning how, choosing not to react to things like an animal, but instead choosing to respond to things like a spirit. That, and that always stuck with me. And I, I love that you just uh, ended, you know, with that quote, um, choosing to respond as a spirit. Because in a lot of ways, you know, I think people get stuck in the sinkhole of indifference if they're at least not open at some level to being in communion with the spirit. The reason I say that is yeah. if you're just trying to figure this stuff out with the mind, it, it kind of makes reasonable, logical sense. Well, Jeremy, why do I have to choose either the prostitute or the virgin? I, I mean, I think Ra uses that imagery. It, in that Ra <laughs> right. quote. Yeah, yeah, that Ra quote for transformation of mind. Why can't I just personal preference why can't i just just do what i you know feels right for me and and you know whatever my individual preferences are and and you know pick a little bit of service to self service to others like why can't i just do that and from a logical perspective i think it makes a lot of sense you know to just say well you know i just want to live my life the way i want to live it right i i don't know i don't see why it has to be in these artificial categories of service to self or service to others and I think it's only when you're doing the daily work or at least some sort of weekly or monthly work where you're meditating or, you know, deep contemplation or prayer and you're being open to being in touch at a, in a, with, a, with the spirit in a very conscious manner that you realize that for whatever reason, service and polarity, service to other, service to self is interwoven into the nature of this reality. And that once you yeah. start to experiment and make a choice, you will notice very quickly there's a, a huge amount of momentum, way more momentum than than there is in the sinkhole of indifference. You know, even if you're around yeah. other people in the sinkhole of indifference, even if you're on the the service to others or service to self path, on a sol in a solitary sense, there's so much more momentum, so much more momentum there that, that you'll notice will start building with how reality and things that happen in your reality are. It's almost like a a conversation you're having. Uh, in your in in how you're polarizing and the things that occur in your life and it's just amazing so once you've you're open to that experience and you start having those experiences you will no longer ask the question well why can i just do you know you, you will no longer ask that question from a very mind-based perspective saying why can i just do what what feels right on a you know to me mentally and what my individual preferences say and just kind of just pick a little mm -hmm. from each because it it will once you've experienced the direct nature of reality in that certain limited sense it almost becomes like a nonsensical question, if that makes sense. Yep. Oh, yeah, because what we're talking about is a feeling of being alive in a certain way. That's the power. That's that's just one aspect of that power that I was talking about that like and, – and, and how do people get to this point where they're willing to live, to truly live in this gamble of their, of their ethics and principles and morality? Um, 
I think that one of two of the archetypes further that are really useful here are the matrix and the potentiator of spirit. If you look at the matrix of spirit, it's darkness, right? It's this sort of menacing evil where power and the way that the world is the way that your environments are constructed seem to be threatening and it's better to just like stay in your safe place in this dark uh, evil world. And then what's the potentiator of spirit? So that's the starting, that's kind of like unpotentiated. That's just kind of like what spirit is. It's this darkness. You can't really see anything of value there. It's, it's just not available. And then what's the potentiator? Sudden light. And I think that's how it happens to people is that they feel suddenly activated, like Kua said. They feel suddenly that something has put them off their off their rocker. Like they they, they they now they're like off center and they can't find a way to get back to that sinkhole in a way that feels right. And so, you know, it could be once again that the time scale <laughs> at which we are viewing others' progress is just a human life and a human perspective doesn't show enough. Because to us, well, what will ever move them out of that? And yet, what will move them out of it? It's the same thing that moved us out of it. Mystery. Something that we don't understand. Something that is working at an implicate order far deeper and far more vast than we can, than we can account for, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, in, in other discussions I've had with people about the nature of catalyst and not necessarily people who are spiritual, right? Um, or at least not necessarily people who are familiar with the law of run, law of one. But, uh, you know, often these conversations, um, people will say, you know, people who are, have a certain level of awareness will say, you know, tragedy has a way of opening up one to God's love. And I always say yeah. that's absolutely true. But I also I've noticed that it can also open you up to become more hateful, right? Uh, service to self. Mm -hmm. But I also mentioned that I've definitely noticed, right? Because I'm around a lot of catalysts in, you know, working in criminal defense, where yeah. people can choose to use a catalytic event to be more positive, to make that choice. Um, people can do it to be more negative, but they some people absolutely use catalysts to dive even deeper into the sinkhole of indifference. Like they'll start, they maybe had a catalytic event. And instead of, you know, um, trying to be more loving, accepting, or try to be more controlling, they just hit the bottle hard, right? They become a complete alcoholic, yeah. which I would say um, is not service to self or service to other. It's more of being no. deeper into the sinkhole of indifference. And, um, you know, alcoholism doesn't kill you immediately. So they manage that for a few years, right? And that's how yeah. they deal with their catalyst. And then because it kind of worked for that one piece of catalyst, yeah. they'll use it for the next one, right? And it's that it's that feedback loop that it just keeps on reinforcing, but doesn't get them anywhere. Yeah, the, the, right, because there's a despair there about the things that the spirit complex will be able to speak to and be able to provide nourishment for, and they don't know that it's there to be to be sought. Right. What will teach them, and 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 this is the big mystery, and this is the thing that we have to have faith about. Um, it certainly isn't necessarily something that we as individuals do. Uh, but it could be. And like the more that we are in touch with our deeper selves, the more we at the very least, at the very least, we offer an example. We offer an example of somebody who is striving, maybe foolishly, maybe ridiculously, uh, maybe we fail. But what we do is we show an example of what spirit looks like in manifestation. 
And the more that we can do that fearlessly and as an expression of our true selves, uh, the more I think we can plant seeds in others that may or may not take root, but it is not up to us whether they take root or not. And I want to read um, an excerpt from the Hatan session that we did a couple of weeks ago. Um, where somebody, uh, one of the people who was in the session, asked about, you know, how, you know, he he was really interested in uh, community building community to, you know, start gestating uh, the fourth density social memory complex, but kind of is uh, put off by all the negativity in the service of self that seems to frustrate that effort. And those of Hatan said, uh, this is the glory of your service, to exercise and strengthen the ability to call to the heart of your brothers and sisters. Now, it is their choice whether they choose to listen, you see. And it is in the clarion call of the heart that the wanderer offers his brothers and sisters that he demonstrates the inviability of that unified creation. And then later on, they say, the more you do your work and use this work as a transmission station for that clear call of love, of service, of the offering of self without any stricture or condition, the more you will see a sharper shadow cast. And this ought to be understood as a confirmation of the vibrance of your work, not, a, not as a frustration. For you have no aim that is given to you by the Creator other than to offer to others that seminal gift of opportunity that you, before you made your choice, were offered. And this is how, this is, this is so difficult for us because we think that rescuing and helping people means getting them, it would mean in this metaphor that we've been using, pulling them out, right? Pulling them out of the sinkhole of indifference to safety, to the, to the striving that we have enjoyed and we love. But, but all we can do is give them an opportunity. And we, in order for it to be a true act of service, freely offered without us imposing it upon them, they have to be able to say no. They have to be able to put up their hands and say, no, thanks. Absolutely. And it, and it is scary um, in the sense that if we just go back to those common orange and yellow ray distortions that hold people into, in, into the sinkhole, you know, when you tell people, hey, really don't give a shit. I mean, go at least go through a period of your life where you're trying to figure this stuff out on your own and put aside everything you've been raised from birth and what society has taught you and discover for yourself. Well, people be like, well, if I if I do that, I'll just become a complete asshole. That is a possibility. Service to others is a possibility. Yep. I'm sorry, service to self is a possibility. But you can also have faith and trust in yourself that maybe you'll just become that much more loving. And then people often say, because I've had this conversation a few times, they'll be like, well, if, well, if yeah, maybe I will become completely loving. But then what am I going to do? Just give up my job and just live out in the forest? I'm like, that is also a possibility. But, you know, like you have to be willing to overcome your fears about change because it will be a, right. a life shattering thing. Like for me, when I, you know, I started most of my life, I was agnostic. So I was always, I, I would say I was always open to um, uh, the spiritual nature of reality. And then I kind of like started meditating two years before that I found the raw material, but I, I didn't really find any material that really spoke to me. Then I found the raw material mm -hmm. and, you know, frankly, within like uh, a year of finding the raw material, I quit my job that I, that I enjoyed thoroughly. And, uh, you know, I, I moved to States um, just cause it is, it is like the, um, the potentiator of the spirit, that archetype of lightning striking the tower. It, when you, when you realize uh, kind of the, the way you've been living your life prior 
isn't how you want to live your life going forward and 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 you experience the true nature of reality in a, in a given incarnation it it does it is an upheaval and that can be scary right to feel like oh my god it would this could create so much change right but yep at the end of the day it's um change isn't bad and in fact change can be good right if you're only like in a state of indifference and in a sinkhole and just avoiding uh, discomfort, you're really truly not living your best life, right? You're not truly enjoying life at, at the fullest. You're not at, at, at a level where you're truly engaging with the infinite happiness and love that is possible in your life. And so it's only right. by risking and um, by taking that risk of willing to move energy up to the heart that you can experience these things. Yep. And I think there's also something to be said for, you know, what it is that actually activates people and how they chart this path out of the sinkhole. Um, because it's impossible for us to know what that would be. It's only the reason why it's important for us to offer opportunities without condition and without like uh, judging them based on whether or not somebody else makes a certain choice is because what causes us to polarize service to others or service to self those of Rase has something to do with deep biases that are built in us uh, that either are uh, that are like at the root of our being an individual at all, or that are the consequence of lots of past decisions that we've made that have created a bias to tend in this way rather than the other, a bias in how the energy flows more easily this way than that way. And so a lot of what I believe polarization is all about is the identification and um, potentiation of these unique biases. These biases are the things that are being uncovered through the process of spiritual evolution and showing the creator these unique novel aspects of itself. And so when people are in the sinkhole of indifference, it's impossible to know what those unique characteristics about them will be, will be sort of like activated and galvanized uh, when, when uh, it happens. It's going to be something that we can't necessarily predict. And so it's important to have uh, patience for those who are in the sinkhole, to realize, to have compassion for the fact that just because we were able to uh, polarize with our biases, we're not them in a, in a very, in a very uh, special way. Because, of course, we are them, right? Like we're all one. But in this illusion in which the one is experiencing itself through these, you know, infinite numbers of portholes, these infinite apertures of the undifferentiated continuum, uh, they're dealing with different equipment, so to speak, than we are. Different biases, um, perhaps a different karmic situation, perhaps um, just a, a different, like, orientation to their, to their consciousness and to their spiritual subjectivity. Uh, so when we are offering service to those who have yet to polarize, uh, it is very, very important that we not judge our service based on how they choose. That was something that Hatan made very clear in that last session, that like it, what we are doing is we are offering opportunity because, because I think this is something that Kuo said at some point. Uh, it is the perpetual offering of opportunity by which uh, evolution happens through conscious agents, 
right? Like, you know, we said, I think last time, you know, with a long enough time scale, you can get 100 monkeys to write Shakespeare, right? With a long enough time scale of opportunities offered and offered and offered, eventually there is nowhere else for the creation to resolve itself but in people climbing out of the sinkhole. It's just that our time scale is a human life of around 80 years, and that's a very, very cosmically short <laughs> time scale to be looking at all of this stuff. So it's another reason to uh, second guess one's uh, uh, proclivity to judge people, to judge things, and to try to think that you have your hands around this cosmic spiritual evolutionary situation. We have ideas. We have feelings. We have information from higher densities. But that's very precious little to go on. And it's even less convincing to those who are in the sinkhole, right? So just keeping things in perspective, once again, if there's one thing that the Confederate, well, if there's two things they say, it's meditation and perspective. And one feeds the other, right? Like this idea of being able to have the proper balance perspective so that you don't feel like you're at, uh, you're, you're about to um, go off the rails or something or or you have to have everything under some sort of like control where you're in charge and you can determine what happens and doesn't happen. Like this, this ability to have the proportionate perspective helps you learn how to work in concert with creation and with your brothers and sisters rather than you having to like know the plan. And then you can do this dance of consciousness that those of Ross start their contact with uh, Don and Carla and Jim talking about. Yeah, if if you're operating from a desire to know the plan, and that's like a a big factor for you, that means you're still kind of like not uh, you're probably a little bit uh, too slanted towards the mind, right? You need a if you can be more in touch with the spirit, that'll help remove some of that urge to be like I need to know the plan. And frankly, I still feel that, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, well. What is all of our um, talk about these constructs and these theories and these ideas, but in some way a desire to know how it all works right? and thereby to be able to have some mastery that can give us comfort and, and defense and safety. So we all deal with fear. It's an issue of do we let the fear stop us from taking that gamble of service one way or the other or not? Right. You know, and it, Another common way I think people get stuck in the sinkhole of indifference um, isn't just purely from like trying to tread water with cultural beliefs and trying to live a, a life of comfort, but maybe um, people who really buy into the sense of Western success is, um, you know, basically acquiring a lot of power and wealth. That actually can polarize you uh, service to self, but usually I think at least for most people, at least the way that you know, gaining power and wealth and being successful and becoming, you know, going from um, a pauper to riches to multimillionaire. In my opinion, it's at least what's publicly discussed is not enough to take you service to self, although it might polarize you a little bit towards negative. I'm not sure that that just trying to be a multimillionaire by the conventional means is going to is going to really take you out of the sinkhole. And I think this is a situation where you're maybe not focused on maybe you could say you're focused on comfort, but you're kind of more focused on, I would say, uh, a culturally accepted form of ambition. And ambition is certainly, in a certain sense, when you're focused on external things like wealth and assets, it's more negative leaning for sure. But it's a culturally accepted version. So it's not like 
it's I, I don't think it gets you enough to polarize negatively just based on what's you know what what is discussed in at least uh, the public space. So it's kind of like you're not purely focused on comfort. You're more focused on ambition. You want to be you know worth five hundred million, you know, you know by the time you're forty. And I think regardless of how successful you are, when you're on that path, I mean, going from you know not being a millionaire as an adult when you're eighteen to being you know halfway to a billionaire by the time you're 40 that takes a lot of time and effort and mental space and you don't have time for much else if you're you know you've truly bought into that and you're and you're trying to do that and i think if you get caught up on this external focus where you're really just trying to achieve some goal um through just you know force of will it does lean a little bit negative but i don't i don't i don't think it gets you out of the sinkhole of indifference ultimately no i mean remember the negative path out of that sinkhole that's a steep hill, man. It is. So it's it's so much it's so much easier to just to, to to radiate and to give up the fear and find uh comrades that uh you who can sort of like help you and you can help them and you get comfort and from that, even though it can be fleeting, um, and you start to learn that you know, you abide in spirit and that, uh, this life is a means to that, not the other way around. Absolutely. I think another thing that, um, keeps people in the sinkhole is, um, maybe a very red ray belief and it's, um, it's reinforcing. So, uh, you know, I know people who have to work two jobs just to make ends meet and mm-hmm. I don't claim to understand the spiritual dynamics behind it. Because when you look at their life from a moment in time when they've been doing this for five, ten years, it looks like they don't have a choice. I mean, there's when I say choice, I'm talking about what they're doing to make ends meet in their everyday life. I'm not talking about spiritual choice here. But, yeah. you know, clearly their life has taught them that life is hard and you need to bust your ass just to have a, a roof over your head. Um, and, you know, they're working 12, 16 hours a day for two jo- with two jobs. And... It's, you know, Ra talks about it, that it's hard to polarize or work on spiritual matters if you're if you're working from, I think they say, dawn to dusk. And I'm like, man, that's actually, nowadays, that wouldn't even be considered that much work, right? Because that's, dawn to dusk is probably only 8 to 12 hours a day, which is, I mean, not, not a small amount, but I mean, a lot of professional jobs average that, right? So it's like, the entire way our society is set up and how we internalize those values that you need to work that much because that's just what you need in order to you know have enough assets to have the basics the basics being food shelter and you know healthcare. frankly right yeah um money for emergencies it's it's hard i don't i personally that's one thing i've been thinking about like is there really a way to help the individual just by having, you know, a talk about spirituality to help them out of that. It seems like it's a much deeper societal problem that our society is structured in such a way that we have people who are so-called wage slaves, right? Where they ha- it seemingly have yeah. to do that in order to survive. I don't know the answers, but it does seem like there's some red ray things going on, distortions where it's they're not even they're not even there asking themselves, "Oh, do I value myself unconditionally or Andre?" Or, you know, do I need to care about what others are thinking individually or in a group setting, um, you know, yellow ray? It's just like just the data. It's a day to day struggle. So it's 
it might seem like we yeah. have all the answers. I, I I will just say I definitely do not have all the answers here. <laughs> oh, good. I do. So <laughs> everybody can relax. No, no, no. Uh, it's the mystery of all of this that keeps us striving and trying to find new and creative ways to serve in spite, you know, in spite of the fact that we, uh, we don't have a plan or, or a good analysis that will help us, uh, you know, uh, direct our, our energies of service in the quote unquote right way, right? Like we just have to sort of be free and radiative and trust in the creator. Um, and I think you're absolutely right that in the long run, the, the, the problems of this planet only have a collective, uh, solution that it is not a solution of the individual. And a lot of what makes everything so painful on this planet is everybody thinking that they have to like get themselves right. You know, that's often like um, what you find in people who are depressed is that they're just thinking about themselves and that oftentimes getting out into the world and volunteering or helping somebody else or just talking to somebody else, those things don't always necessarily seem like service, like just going out and talking to somebody. But you don't know what another person really needs. The only thing you can do is afford them an opportunity for a connection with another part of the creator that you represent. And then the creator does the rest. Yeah, it's uh and and you got lots of lives to figure this out in. So it's not all it's not all like this one life. Like we're just trying to do the best we can in the conditions in which we find ourselves, you know, remember the 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 the, the us that is in waking consciousness didn't pick this life even though the greater us did. Yeah. So like it's not everybody has everybody is fully entitled to feel screwed by, you know, the lottery of life if they want to. Like there's every reason to think that way. Again, it's like are if you're just approaching things from a mental analysis, there's every reason to think that this is a crappy deal that we're given. Um and what would it take to pull you out of that self-pity and get you to say in spite of that I'm going to strive to realize higher ideals in spite of the fact that it seems like it won't go anywhere and I'm just one drop in a, in a bucket. Um, but that spirit is, I think, in that is the power of the creator. And that's what we're learning to harness. And that's what's going. That power in an individual across 8 billion other individuals. Now, that's a lot of power if everybody can see that and harness it network it, coordinate it, pointing in one direction. That can cut through anything. I, I couldn't have said it better, Jeremy. Uh, what you described, you know, feeling like you got the short end of the stick, that you got a raw deal. I mean, that's how I felt like 15, 20 years ago. And um, it hasn't been easy. But honestly, the last two years of my life have been the best years of my life. And there's just so much power and magic behind the path that it's just, it's just beautiful. And we're you don't have to do this alone, right? Um, I mean, frankly, nope. you're never alone. There, there's always the creator, but even then, there's each other, uh, you know, ones of us out here, and we're just trying to figure this out. And, um, you know, one thing I do think that might be taking place is um, since, according to Ra, this is the end of a major cycle, and this time period is very important, um, I, I've wondered whether some some souls incarnating here uh, are kind of rolling the dice because... Um, in the sense that they maybe they're a little further away from the finish line, but they're like, oh, I'll just take out a whole bunch of catalysts this life. And, you know, with the risk that either I'll go deeper into depression 
or maybe I will polarize through all those catalysts and make it to the finish line. Um, so you just got to be very understanding that uh, people, they have a lot going on and you don't always get to see what they're going through. Um, you know, I think Ross says you can look into their eyes, but you really don't know what, what cards they've been dealt or what cards they're holding. Yep. You just try to do the best I can. I mean, the way that, uh, so I've been reading Tilting at Windmills again, which is the story of, it's like an interview with Carla and Jim that Gary Bean conducted uh, really close to when Carla died. So it's like basically the last thing before she died. Um, and Carla describes that of when she had kidney failure as a uh, child and died for a couple of seconds. And she said that uh, she was in this you know beautiful place, of course, and the, and she she saw this temple over the hill and knew that all of her friends were there. And she started walking that way and she heard a voice that's saying, you know, if you leave now, uh, that's okay because you basically took two lifetimes of Catalyst on in one lifetime. And we were always a little bit weirded out about that. So if you want to do over, like, we get it, you can come back in two incarnations and deal with your program of, of learning. And I guess she felt like she had sort of uh she didn't want to go through a childhood again if she could help it. She's like, no, I'll just go back and finish it. I'm almost done with childhood anyway, because I think she was like 13 at the time, if I'm not mistaken. And so she just came back and and had a very, very successful uh, lifetime of service, uh, one that uh, I certainly aspire to emulate if I can. I did not know that. That's a beautiful story. I really recommend uh, if folks have the time reading Tilting at Windmills. It's a fantastic effort, um, and it really lays out um, the how this beautiful project at Ella Research came about. It's it's a great story, um, and the individuals are really like interesting individuals. Like they all have their quirks, and and you know just and especially there's a lot of details about Don. You know like. Don uh, never like always wanting to like scope out restaurants so he could figure out the exit path, you know, like all these little quirks that you wouldn't think a spiritual person would have. Uh, it just shows you that uh, the project we're engaged in of spiritual evolution calls on all of the aspects of humanity, even those that, that seem to be uh, uh, neutral or even negative uh, characteristics can sometimes be the thing that, that gives us the grit to get through things, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think they could have gotten through the raw contact as far as they did without somebody with Don's determination and single-mindedness. You know what I mean? Yeah, all three of them brought unique characteristics to the table that were essential for the contact. They sure did. Another thing that stuck out to me uh, in the interview is how much of a rock Jim was. How, you know, uh, there there was this uh, idea in the last uh, Hatan session about the creator being a kind of sink for all of those energies that in in your service to another, uh, you can't resolve within yourself. You can't balance. Like the the creator can sort of like take all of it and absorb it if you give it to the creator, and I got and, and, and as as I was rereading that, I, I that's kind of like how I feel like Jim's role was. I might be full of it, but like it seemed like he was able to just take all of it and balance it, and always give something that was steady, and 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 loving out of that. And I really admire him for that. 
So who serves that uh, purpose in your current circle? Nobody. We are just all out there going nuts. <laughs> now nah, the, the current circle has, you know, we're going to find out uh, in about a month, Nathan, <laughs> you, me, and Steve. Looking forward to and it. And we might have some other friends along the way. Should be interesting. I look forward to it too. Yeah. Yeah. It'll definitely be interesting one way or another, right? Oh, man. Okay. Well, you want to uh, wrap it up here? Yeah. I mean, um, do we have any take? I feel like we've been circling the drain here. Yeah. <laughs> do we have any takeaways for the uh, listener about the sinkhole and indifference? Stay out. <laughs> Seek dry land. Yeah. And uh, once you're out, um, it's very difficult to get back in. Once you've made the choice, it's like you, you kind of wish sometimes you could go back. You can't go back. <laughs> That's actually a really good point is how much we can look back on that uh, Garden of Eden of not having to care, right? Of not having to endure the heartbreak of caring. Um, but it's that heartbreak is what it feels like to be alive. You know, it's, 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 to me, it's like if there's nothing at stake, if there's nothing you're striving for, you're basically dead. And that's what the sinkhole feels like to me. It's like a death. And uh, so what is transformation of spirit, right? In the tarot, in the archetypal mind, it is resurrection. It is rising from the dead as a new self. And that's what we are asking of the people who are hurting and protecting themselves in fear. Um, and so just the radiation of love to people is how we reach our hand back into that sinkhole as when we've gotten ourselves out, we don't just go forward and graduate and move on without them. We reach back. Everybody reaches back if you're on the service to others path. If you're on the service to self path, you move on. <laughs> but <laughs> you're like, uh, if you're on the service to others path, yeah, no. Like, and, 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 and I think a lot of us who feel like we're service to others, there's a part of us that would like to peace out and just be like, well, we're going to see you guys at the end, I guess, in eighth density. But um, no, no. I think one of the things that the confederation has made very clear is that if you're on the service to others path, you're in this together, at least as until you get to fourth density, we're trying to get each other there. And, uh, so there's no thing, there's no strategy for that. There's no technique or approach other than the free radiation of love in the way that you will know how to do in the moment. Yeah, just got to take it from moment by moment. And, you know, the listener, if you made it this far, um, maybe to your surprise or not to your surprise, you're probably service to others. You're probably out of the sinkhole. So, uh, yeah, you're here. Nathan, tell them what they won. (laughs) (laughs) So congratulations. You won a lifetime of more Catalyst and and more wonders and more magic, frankly. So it's not all bad. Your Catalyst increased. But... Your choices, moment by moment, are also more powerful. Yeah, and, and that's that's important to keep in mind. And the aid, um, there's more and more aid available as you become Thank you. aware of the path. I think the aid, I think in a certain sense, the aid is, was always there, but you're just better able to access it and and use it. Yes, you participate and you cooperate with it instead of being like, "Oh, stop giving me that aid. That doesn't feel right," you know. Like you're transforming, and so what's aid and what's hindrance? changes too it's all dialectic man absolutely 
All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for jumping into the morass with me, Nathan. I feel like uh, this is not this is a topic that I've thought a lot about, but I haven't talked a lot about it. So having you to uh, bounce ideas off of is always so great. Thank you. Uh, thank you. It's always my pleasure. We'll be back uh, in two weeks. We're trying to keep that schedule, and Nithin has been so awesome about keeping it with me. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, we might be talking about dreams with another special guest from the Other Selves Working Group. Uh, so look forward to that. Uh, keep ideas that you have for topics to talk about coming in. Um, this is it's it's wonderful to know that people are thinking about this. Uh, spiritual philosophy, investing in it enough that questions actually do pop to mind, that in asking them can help us talk to everybody about things that they may not have considered in their lives. So keep reaching out, saying hi, letting us know what you think of the podcast. We'll be here. And in the meantime, stay in the love and light.